Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series called Power in Weakness with a message entitled Maintaining Perspective. So turning your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4, verses 13 to 18, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Christian, you need to keep perspective. You can't allow your hardships to rise onto the horizon so that you don't see anything else. You can't slip into a deep valley where you see no more than hardships that have befallen you. The world is full of people who have become so discouraged, disillusioned, and disheartened by the events that surround them that their world becomes gray and slowly the weight of their wounds and sorrows cause them to sink below the waves. Therapist couches are filled with people who have become sad. They once had zeal, but now it's gone. And that doesn't just happen to people of no faith, it happens to all of us. Sometimes church can seem like it provides no relief for our gloom. We sing and go through the motions, we hear the sermon and perhaps it speaks and then maybe it doesn't. The service is over and people hang out and then they talk about everything from their work to the kids to the musical concert they attended or or to something else. And then we go home and the gloom is not gone. And we feel we've lost perspective and the things that are meant to give us hope have fled from us. As we've been making our way through 2 Corinthians, we've gained an understanding of the Apostle Paul as he walked through what had become the deepest valley of his life. The Corinthian church, which should have been a source of continual encouragement, became a source of grief. Well, true enough, Paul hadn't created that conflict. But there it was, and he became the center of that conflict. And of course, the demands of the ministry which Jesus had given him were felt in increasing difficulties, his beatings, his imprisonments, treated as the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. And yet, he said, as we have studied this section, that he was afflicted and yet not crushed, perplexed but not yet driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Yeah, it's true. Paul, who testified that he carried in his own body the death of Jesus, and yet still, he also testified to experiencing the resurrection life of Jesus. He was capable of going on. Now, as we come to the end of chapter 4, Paul opens the curtain and allows us to see two vital things. These things kept him from despairing. And the first is found in verses 13 to 15, it's faith, and the second in verses 16 to 18 is hope. So let's let Paul describe it. I'm reading 2 Corinthians 4, verses 13 to 18. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So let's begin with the first section, verses 13 to 15, the section that begins with the words, since we have the same spirit of faith. 
Now, I don't know if you found that part difficult to understand, but just in case you did, let's work at it to make it easier to understand. Since we have the same spirit of faith, so the same spirit of faith as whom? Well, Paul's going to tell us. I have, he says, the same spirit of faith that King David had in the Old Testament. And he's referring to Psalm 116. So let's get the context of the passage that Paul is quoting. At the beginning of that psalm, back in verse 3, David said that at one point in life in his ministry, the snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me, I suffered distress and anguish. So clearly, as Paul has been thinking about his own struggles, he's been drawn to reading the psalms, and by the way, we should as well. So many psalms that, that someone who's struggling needs to find and meditate on those psalms. You know, David knew what it was to feel like Paul. Paul had said that he despaired of life, and David had said, Sheol, the place of the dead, laid a hold of me in my anguish. And as Paul was reading Psalm 116, he sees his own struggles, and that's how God intends our Bible reading to be. But let's come to the section that has caught Paul's attention. It's in Psalm 116, verses 8 to 10. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. Ah, it's the last part, verse 10, that got Paul's attention. David said, even while I was speaking about my distress and troubles, even while I was speaking about those very things, I was still believing. But believing what? So to understand that, we go all the way back in Psalm 116 to verse 7, where David said, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. That is, David is saying, I believed that even though I was going through trials, that my God continued to deal bountifully or generously or in a manner that was overflowing with his goodness and his mercy towards me. That's because David never forgot that God was leading him to the best possible future. His hope was in what a benevolent God, the God of covenant, was doing in his life, even in the midst of his hardship. And so even when he talked about the cords of death encircling him, you know, as we read, David said, I never stop believing in the kindness of my God. And Paul, who quotes Psalm 116, says the very same thing. Look again at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. We also believe and we also speak. I, just like David, says Paul, I believe. You know, stop for a moment and consider the first step in Paul's source of encouragement. Again, he's reading Psalm 116. He's reading Old Testament scripture. He's been applying what he's been reading to his own life, and he comes to a conclusion. David and I have the same God, and both of us have been given the same faith in that God. We believe in the kindness of God, and so neither David nor I have stopped speaking and fulfilling the ministry of God for us. So we get specific. What exactly is Paul believing? What promise has gotten his attention? Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That's it. It was back in 1 Corinthians 15 that Paul declares that the things that are of first importance are these. 
Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose from the dead. And then in that same chapter, Paul says that if Christ was not raised from the dead, then all his preaching in his life is in vain. And then in verse 20, he says, but in fact, that is, it really happened. It's been verified by trustworthy witnesses that Christ has been raised from the dead. And since that's an established fact in history, then Christ is the first fruits, or he's the first of a company of resurrections who will follow him into the new life. I know, he says, I know that the God who raised Jesus is going to raise us, those who believe in him. We're all going to stand before God in his presence. See, this hope sounds so much like Job's hope, don't you think? You know, in the midst of Job's suffering and his complaints, you know, fighting with false friends and a, and a wife who will not stand with him. In all of that, Job 19 verse 26 records Job as saying, after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. See, I've often wondered how an Old Testament saint had such a firm grasp on the bodily resurrection of the dead, but clearly God must have revealed that precious truth to Job. And yes, says Paul, I don't believe that my present sufferings are the last word. I don't believe that if I don't get to grow old gracefully and if all my joy in this life is taken away, I don't believe that's the last word because it's not. The resurrection is the last word. I believe, and that's why I won't stop speaking. I believe I will rise with Jesus. And so Paul gets back to his ministry with the Corinthian church. Verse 15, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. He says, I'm going to keep speaking the gospel, no matter the cost, for your sake. I want your church to grow. I want to win people to Christ. I want more and more people to experience the same grace that you and I have. So Paul's saying that, you know, God multiplies grace when more and more people come to Christ. And as an ever-increasing number of people hear the gospel and repent of their sins and then believe, well, then God's grace abounds all the more. And so if this causes me to lose my life, well, I'm counting on the resurrection. Hey, this is Dr. John Newfeld of Back to the Bible Canada. Take the opportunity today to sponsor a pastor to attend our June 2020 Back to the Bible Canada third annual Bible teaching conference hosting hundreds of Indian pastors across India. Conferences will take place in Delhi, Hyderabad, and Chennai. I will be teaching pastors to learn the discipline of effectively teaching the Bible and sharing the gospel. You know, many pastors in India have little opportunity for formal education, so being trained and equipped can mean so much to their ministry. This year, you can sponsor the attendance of an Indian pastor for only $55, which includes the cost of the conference, resources, travel, accommodations, and food. Join us in this great cause of continuing to equip pastors in India. Consider sponsoring one or more pastors to attend the India Bible Teaching Conference this June Call 1-800-663-2425 or visit sendapastor.ca.
Tim Savage, in his commentary on 2 Corinthians, says, It is because Paul believes in a future resurrection of the dead that he presently is willing to carry about in his body the dying of Jesus. It's because he trusts in a future exaltation that he now submits to the condition of a slave. Without faith in a future resurrection, Paul's present sufferings would be intolerable. End quote. Indeed. Without a vibrant hope, I mean, how can any of us survive? I ran into an acquaintance the other day. I mean, my hands were full of the stuff that I was buying in a local drugstore. It was, you know, toiletries and the like. And I noticed him. And I set the stuff on a nearby pile of boxes and I shook his hand. How are you? I asked. And he said he was encouraged. And then in a, in a moment of sober reflection, he asked me if I knew that he had cancer. I said, no, I didn't. He said, yeah, I've been fighting it for 10 years. But then he said, my heart is fixed on the resurrection. And then he said, I just don't know how anyone can live without the hope of the resurrection. <laughs> I agreed with him as we were standing there in the drugstore. You know, and I wondered about this very thing. You know, for the first half of our lives, it seems like our best days are surely ahead of us. And then for about the next quarter, you know, we're kind of okay and leveled off. And then for the last quarter every day, it's not the best anymore, is it? Slowly, slowly, we feel the grip of death overtaking us, and we know that the road is running out and will soon come to an end. I mean, how can any thinking person not fall into the pit of endless despair given that is our reality? Oh, look, I know. There are multiple ways of handling it. I mean, one way is to simply anesthetize the pain of our dilemma. Either we put our heads down and just keep on working at our jobs while we can. I mean, some people do that simply because, you know, they fear what they might do if the familiar patterns of work are not before them. And others, well, they just kind of drop out. They go RVing for the rest of their lives, at least while they still can. But eventually it gets harder. And as the light of life grows ever dimmer and the cold hand of death becomes ever more present. And the strength of that hand is felt with ever-increasing force, and the grip of that cold hand seems to be tightening. And if you're not a believer, I mean, how do you deal with that? The anesthetic of, you know, pleasure-seeking, that anesthetic is wearing off, and now the pain becomes ever more vivid. And for Paul, well, he never took the anesthetic in the first place. He carried in his own body the death of Jesus, and like his Savior, he gave himself over to death for the sake of the gospel. And what was the result? A horrifying spiritual conflict resulted in great suffering, and yet he set his heart on the empty tomb. But there's also more. Look at verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. I know some of us view the distinction here between the outer self and the inner self as, you know, the distinction between body and soul. You know, so from that vantage point, it would seem that Paul is saying that while his body is dying, his spirit is being renewed. And in truth, you know, I've heard many a spirit-filled believers say exactly that. Whether it's illness or simply aging, I have met many an older believer who's lived well in Jesus say exactly that. You know, I was once at the dying bedside of a dear, spirit-filled saint. And as she lay dying, she would often lift her hands in worship, ever more encouraged in Jesus as her physical frame looked like, you know, every last breath would be her last. You know, I must say that the sight of her has still deeply engraved in my mind. She was in that state, quite frankly, one of the most beautiful women I had ever seen. 
Yeah, the inner beauty of the spirit and the outer wreck of her physical body, that contrast. Now, is that true? Is that what Paul is communicating to us here? See, here's what I think. In Paul's writing, the contrast between the outer self and the inner self is never the contrast between body and spirit. For Paul, the outer self is the old self. You know, in Ephesians 4.22, he speaks of putting off our old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And then, in contrast to that, if you go to Colossians 3, verse 10, he speaks about putting on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. See, I think Paul says that in my ministry and in following after Jesus, I see the old man wasting away slowly but progressively as, as Christ is Lord of all. The things that once fascinated my soul are giving off a death rattle. But the new self, the born-again heart, is being filled by God's Holy Spirit. It's being renewed. See, Paul is losing interest in the things that fascinate the people of this world. His interest is now like a laser beam focused on only one thing. Listen to the words of Philippians 3, 10 and 11. That I may know him, power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And that's it. I don't run from the sufferings, he said. Instead, I've been wanting to identify with Christ's sufferings so that I might also identify with his resurrection. Yeah, the old man is dying. The sinful self sounds like it's wheezing for breath. The old self looks like it's been given a cancer diagnosis. It looks thin and gaunt. You know, I've stopped wanting to preserve my earthly life. Rather, I'm doing the opposite. I am gladly laying down this life so that the new self would be daily renewed and grow healthy and robust. Then having said all of that, Paul's thoughts have now come to a climax. He says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, and the things that are unseen are eternal. So let's begin by noticing a very fundamental thing. Paul's not saying that the afflictions he has suffered, or the afflictions, for that matter, that any one of us suffer is light and momentary. I've known people who have not known a moment in years and years in which their body is not racked with pain or their mind isn't struggling with mental illness. I mean, the reality of living in a sin-cursed creation does take its toll, doesn't it? It's not light. It's not momentary. It feels crushing. It's left many a person crying out in desperation. And indeed, Paul didn't encounter his own struggles as if they were light. I mean, why do you think he said he despaired of life? He said it because his world had become gray. He said it because conflict and pain were all around him, and there was no relief, only an intensification of his sorrow. He said it because he knew the misery that can attend us in this life. And even more, if we remain faithful to our Lord. No, no, Paul never said that suffering is momentary and light. But, and this is the key, he said compared to the weight of glory. Yeah, it's light and momentary. You have to get the comparison in order to understand. Imagine for a moment one of those older scales, and here I mean the kind of scale that had a center post, and then it has two arms protruding out of the center post, and they're hung on a swivel. And at the end of each arm, there's a chain with a flat basket or a flat 
plate at the bottom. And you could put a weight on one side and a weight that was known, and let's say it's a 20-pound weight on one side, and then you would put, let's say, grain in the other, and you continue to add the grain until the two sides of the arms are even with each other. That's how you used to weigh stuff. Now, says Paul, put the weight of the sorrows of this world on one side, and then on the other side, put the weight of the eternal glory that lies before the believer, and watch what happens next. The weight of our sufferings are nothing compared to that. And Paul doesn't stop there. He's not just saying, you know, just hang in there. It's going to get better in the world to come. None of that. He is saying the present sufferings are God's means of preparing us for what is to come. It's his tool to shape our character and strip us of the joys of this world and fit us so that we can delight fully in that which lies ahead. Think about it, says Paul. The things that are seen are soon to go out of existence, and the things that look so substantial and constant are not that way at all. Everything that looks permanent is passing away. It's going to be gone before you know it. But the things that right now are not seen with our eyes, those things will endure for eternal ages. Do you want to keep perspective during the dark days of suffering? Or have you lost perspective already? Does it seem to you that your life is becoming the color of gray and that the joy you once had is fading and will soon be no more? If that's you, here's my word of counsel. Cling to one thing. The weight of glory so supersedes the weight of my suffering that in that light, my suffering is light in comparison. What a thought. Jonathan, perspective, oh my. I mean, I've lost a lot of perspective at times when things are difficult, but I'm going to ask you, is there times you can look back and say, you know what, I just lost perspective there? Yeah, I did. Um, and, and suffering is an interesting thing when, when we encounter it. I mean, Ben, I, I know so much about what the Scripture says is true in the middle of our sufferings, that it, you know, it, it takes away my attachment from the world. It, you know, it gives me a more clear understanding of the sufferings of Christ. I mean, I go on and on about all the things that suffering does, but when I experience it myself, I shudder to admit this, but sometimes I just thrash around and, and forget all of that. And I need people to walk alongside me and will minister God's truth into my life because I find that when suffering comes near, uh, I do lose perspective, but <laughs> I, I don't despair. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I think that God's not through with me, and, and that's where I take hope. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Power and Weakness, with a special message called The Hope That Makes Courage Possible, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Laugh Again, a ministry resource of Back to the Bible Canada, has a profound impact on so many lives. In five brief minutes a day, Phil Calloway, through his special gifts of encouragement and humor, has opened doors to people hearing the gospel or simply finding hope in difficult times. We've received so many notes and emails of deep appreciation for Laugh Again. Well, we're expanding our programming with Laugh Again TV. That's right, Laugh Again will be aired on YouTube to present Laugh Again Take 5. These are five-minute videos produced to reach a huge audience with a unique message of hope and joy found in Christ. 
So check out the Laugh Again TV YouTube channel and subscribe so you never risk missing an episode. For more information or to support the ministry of Laugh Again, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit laughagain.ca.